Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, but we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. It's comics. And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the Christmas 2016 episode of Hey Kids Comics. Are you feeling particularly festive? Somewhat festive. Only slightly festive. A little bit. Why? My my feeling of festiveness <laughs> grows with each day toward Christmas. Does it? Well, given that we're recording this on December the 18th, mm. you've still got a couple of days for your festivity to rise. It grows every day. Does it? Until it reaches its climax upon Christmas and then I lose all festive feeling. And then you just can't perform. Yeah. Mm. Have you felt any of your presents yet? I have. Have you? Last Which night, ones have you after, felt? After you all went to bed, I had a nice, <laughs> nice look under the tree. Well, this is Michael's first return home behind the microphone since you left to go to uni for year two. First extended stay. But, well, when did we do it? We've not done one since you went back to university in no, September. I have stayed at home since I last went. Yeah, I know, but we didn't bang one of these out because I don't want you thinking I only want you to come home to record an episode. Which is you, which you do? Yeah, I do, but I don't want you thinking that. I see. Uh, okay. So what have you done? That uh, will entertain the listeners in uh, listener land since you returned to your no, comic book course. I was, I, was doing, I was doing work. Work? What kind of work were you doing? Comic-y work. Would this interest us? I don't know, would it? You went to New York, dude! Oh, yeah, I was getting to that. <laughs> I was going in chronological order. All right, okay, fair enough. And then I went to New York. Yes. Where, in which I visited New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. I missed out on seeing Bruce Springsteen's book tour. Because oh, uh, we went to Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of it. That's it. Just had a look Did out. you meet anybody interested in New York? At the Comic Con? Yes. I met Ryan Otley, I met Yannick Paquette, I met uh, Steve Dillon. Cool. The week before. That was sad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I met Greg Capullo. He wasn't signing that day, I just bumped into him on the floor. Good picture though. Mm. Mm. You literally bumped into him. No, because is he was... not like a brick wall, and you would have just bounced right off? No, actually, what happened was a little more embarrassing than that. All oh, right. So, so me, me and my girlfriend Dana. Walking, Hi, Dana. Walking around the show floor, I say, Dana, stop. She's what, what, what? Hang on. And this bloke walks past, and I kind of get into stalker mode, and I follow him. <laughs> Poor Greg Until he stops. Kapuo. And he turns around. And I stop purely out of embarrassment. And he looks at me and he notices that I'm stood there out of embarrassment. And he says, can I help you? Are you Greg Capullo? Yeah. Can I have a picture? <laughs> Did you do it with that squeaky little voice? It was getting progressively squeakier the more oh, embarrassed right, I got, right, yeah. Okay, fair enough. But was he a nice guy? About it was him? a lovely bloke. But I felt bad because after he stopped to take a picture of me, Everyone else wanted a picture around. Uh, so so I, you opened the floodgates. I walked gates. away feeling like a bit of an ass. Uh, I did apologise and I said, I'm sorry if this is a pain in the ass or anything. And he said, no, no, it's fine. Fair enough. 
And did you meet anyone else that you may want to mention? Uh, I bumped into Rob Light. That's the story that I the wanted, yeah. So this was the day before we went to the Comic-Con, mm-hmm. so this was the Friday, and we were visiting uh, the, the Chelsea Markets, which is a couple of blocks down from the Gaslight Tavern, where oh. many of famous musicians played, including Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, and Bruce Springsteen. Right. And uh, so I'm coming back again with my girlfriend, Dana, and I say, hang on, is that Rob Liefeld? I don't know, I've never seen it. This, this, hang on, is that seems to happen quite a lot to you. It does, it does. And I'm walking down, and my mate Niall, big image fan, I say, hey, I think I just saw Rob Liefeld. No, no, you didn't. He's he's from the north, by the way. (laughs) No, did ya, did ya? Excellent impersonation. So Niall, Niall is a man who has very little boundaries, goes up and says, (laughs) are you Rob Liefeld? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I have a picture? <laughs> what, what accent is this that you're well, he's, doing? He's from Sunderland, so I'm so, trying to. So you're trying to be Anton Deck? Why? Why? No, because he has a very comedic Unsunderlandy accent. Oh, right, okay. But not what you're doing. No, it's pretty. I'm doing it pretty accurate, actually. If you, oh, yeah? if you met him, yeah. Okay, alright, fair enough. So he doesn't sound like he comes from where he comes from. Hey, he doesn't sound like Anton Deck. No. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> Apparently not Anton Deck. No, hey, that was Vigora. <laughs> Jingle Jagger and Jewelry Jewelry. Accents are not my forte. Apparently not. No, one more is me. I, I can pull off a wide variety of accents mm. with just the minimum of, of precaution. Mm. Training. Some somewhat insulting. Most somewhat <laughs> insulting, some would say. Anyway, so those those are your stories of, of excitement and adventure and really wild things. Yeah. Since, uh, we got we got sidetracked because we had to walk around Times Square because there was an Alicia Keys concert on. Was that? Mm. Did you not say, wait a minute, is that Alicia Keys? <sighs> no, she was gone. It was just to be trying to get rid of the crowds. All right, okay, fair enough. Anyway, well, Christmas episode. Mm. We're all, we've, we've got our tinsel. Yes. We're wearing our funny hats. Mm-hmm. I have a, a particularly splendiferous hat mm-hmm. tonight, don't I? Some may call it a tiara. <laughs> Some may call it a tiara. Well, I have been drinking. That's true. So, And your hat is particularly goblin-esque. Green goblin-esque, some might say. Mm. Very nice. Mm. I like your purple helmet. Tonight we will be covering <laughs> Superman Peace on Earth. Did you not see where I was going with that? It's a little... No point, did you twig? See, it's, it's this relationship between us that make that weirder. <laughs> ah, son, I quite like your purple head. <laughs> Thank you, father. It is particularly purple today. <laughs> Thank you, I inherited enough my father. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Superman Peace on Earth, Christmas episode for this year. And here it is, it's a big old fat treasury edition, and it's the real comic, none of this digital filth. No. I don't even know if this is available digitally, do you? I don't. I don't know if this is available digitally at all. But we have a backlog of emails, so should we do a couple of emails before we get on with the main bulk of the show? Mm-hmm. Our first email is from Chris Franklin. Hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. Some quick thoughts on Rebirth. I was right there with you. I had absolutely no interest in this thing until those spoilers leaked. Then they had me. My son Andrew and I were geeking out, reading it back and forth in the car after picking it up in the comic shop. It's been years since that happened to me. I was initially very sceptical. Johns had promised to switch back to a brighter DCU over ten years ago with Infinite Crisis, and that definitely did not happen. But I think they mean it this time. I'm really digging action comics. I missed out on Lois and Clark, but Cindy got the trade at her library and I enjoyed it a lot. Superman is finally back. You can argue he's been gone for nearly 20 years at this point. 
detective looks interesting, and I've also been pursuing that at the library. Andrew's enjoying Nightwing, Flash, and Titans. I need to try those out, just have to carve out the time. Great episode, gents, Christopher. Well, it's such a long time ago since we did the the rebirth episodes. Mm-hmm. See, I've been spacing out the releases, as yes. you may or may not have noticed. Have. The spaced out release date for Court That City of Owls was a little bit longer than perhaps I'd intended. Some of us have worked. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but, you know. It, it takes time and effort to be an artist. It, it does take time and effort to edit a show, apparently. Well, that didn't actually. That was more. <laughs> my dad's picking me up tomorrow. I promised him I'd do it. I promised him I'd have it out before the end of the year. So I got it done. So okay. So, but anyway, appreciate that uh, email. We've got another one from Chris coming up in a minute. Uh, this one is from Patrick Delmore. Quinn Quips. Hello, Andy and Michael. I was very excited for your Harley Quinn. I was uh, as I was on the ground floor with her first appearance. I was eleven in nineteen ninety three, and Batman the animated series was appointment television for my whole family. I'd always assumed back in the nineties that Harley was from the comics. There was a character in my copy of Batman and the Hulk shown in flashback, a female Joker, who I thought was an early version of Ms. Quinzel. It wasn't until Mad Love, the comic, came out. I was on the ground floor for that, too, that I realised she'd been created for TV. Until listening to older episodes of your show where Andrew praised Mike Parabek, I thought the only pure version of Batman Adventures was ones that Bruce Tim drew and Paul Dini wrote. So even though there were plenty of Batman Adventures comics to be had at both the library and friends' houses, I ignored them unless they had the real writer-artist team working on them. Flash forward to this January, I paid full price for both the second and third volumes of the collected editions, and I was able to read issue 12 this morning before listening to your show. Parabek's work is amazing. There's a scene at the costume party where everyone is dressed as a character from the Love and Rockets comic. Like you, I was disappointed that the Suicide Squad movie dropped the ball on Harley's fantasy of domestic bliss with the Joker, depicted so well in Mad Love. Also, where was the Joker gas in that movie? I've run out of things to say, so keep making shows and I'll keep listening. I will write again when the mood strikes. Patrick, where was the Joker gas in Suicide Squad, the movie? I don't know. Was there any? Where was the Joker in Suicide Squad? Oh, it's funny because it is true. true. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll go back to making music, Jared. Oh, is that, is that what he did? Because what was interesting was, I thought the joke was quite subtle in Suicide Squad because mm. the damage written on his head mm. meant that he was mentally damaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know where they come up with this stuff. I know. Quite impressive. It's like the face paint, the green hair, the huh? red lips, the yeah. psychopathic killing of people. The bit where he's, he's lying next to some baby grows in knives because mm. edgy. Hey, very good. His his reading of the role was certainly um interesting. Yeah. Mm. Aaron Henley's emailed in. Hello, Leyland's first time emailer to the show. Very long time listener. Well, hello, Aaron. Welcome. Pull up a chair. Enjoy. Chris is over there. Chris Franklin's over there dishing out the gegnog. 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 It's like eggnog, but it's made with gegs, as pronounced ah, by yes. the ventriloquist. Gegs, the, the well-known vegetable. <laughs> Get the gat man! <laughs> Get me the gegs! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the ventriloquist has, has made the gegnog, gegnog. and Chris is, is dishing that out. <laughs> and Patrick's over there with the nibbles. Hmm. You want to twiggle it? It's, it's somewhat crowded around here. It's somewhat crowded in Hey Kids Towers hmm. at the moment. But you're more than welcome. Come in, join us. Tell us a bit about yourself. Why do you want this job? <laughs> Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Uh, money can be exchanged for services and goods. 
Uh, Aaron continues, I was listening to your DC Rebirth episode and heard you mention Superman, Lois and Clark. I highly recommend checking out that story as one of the best takes on the two title characters. We see them in a completely new light as parents facing challenges and turning age-old tropes on their heads. Another amazing addition was the introduction of their son, Jonathan Samuel White (coughs) Kent. They changed names not to be identified as Clark Kent or Lois Lane, by the way. We see that John has the strength of both his parents, Lois's tenacity and quest for answers and Clark's courage and, well, other things. It's available in trade on both Comixology and Amazon. Also, I do know a podcast who spent the last two months covering this story in detail, imitating a certain British podcast covering Nightfall. His podcast, Tangents Abound, is actually pretty good, but I may be a little biased. His show can be found at tangentsabound.libson.com. Sorry for the shameless plug, but I do know he made sure to include a couple of Hey Kids references and promos in the show. You're more than welcome to plug your... We prefer that you plug your own stuff, Aaron. That's true. It means Aaron, we don't have to. It means we don't have to know what you do, because you did it for us, <laughs> yeah. and we don't have to do any research. I'm a big fan of that. I like people plugging their own stuff. Saves me time. And I don't feel guilty, then, if I don't if I forget to do it, because it <laughs> wasn't my fault. That I, If you don't plug your own stuff, I ain't going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Well, I probably would if you made a promo. But you may get it wrong. But I may get it wrong. Mm. Yeah, play the wrong promo. I've done that before. So, yeah. So have you. So I, I didn't know. <laughs> you didn't know that people fall out. I know, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're allowed to joke about it now. Yeah, we can laugh about it now, but at the time it was terrible. Uh, again, I can't recommend this story enough, continues Aaron. There is a little wonkiness at times, but the core of the story is the White <coughs> Kent family, and it is superb. Because of this story and DC Rebirth, especially Superman, I've come back to comics and I'm buying again on a regular basis. I don't think there could be a higher compliment than that. Thank you for the many hours and laughs you two have given me throughout the years and Michael, best wishes at college, university. Take care, gents, and if you're ever in central Ohio, first pints are on me. Best, Aaron Henley. Well, we may. All these people that have offered this. You know what we should totally do? We should pay the... We should go to America. Right. We should rent a car, like a Mustang or or a a God's Challenger, something cool. Right. And we should travel to each of these places and just show up and say, you remember when you said you'd buy us a drink? Well, here we are. So we will spend more money than we have (laughs) to get a free drink. (laughs) Yeah. I think that would be brilliant. And but, totally worth it. Yeah, of course. We could, we could build, you could rent your own car if you could drive. I can drive, just not legally. Well, all right. And then, you know, your mum well, can't drive either. So we could have been like Clarkson, Hammond and May in our own cars. And race each other. Yeah, and Adam could have travelled with you. And, and you could travel with your mum. And I'd go on my own. I can't think of anything worse. <laughs> all right, you can take Dana and I'll have Adam. <laughs> it's Adam. Right, fair enough. Okay. Thank you, Aaron, for emailing in. Very much appreciate you plugging your own show, Tangents Abound. It's nice that uh, that you did that. Our final email tonight is from uh, Aaron. No, it's not. It's Andrew. I just saw Aaron again and, and got confused. Okay. Because somebody having my name confuses me, apparently. There's only me. Yeah. yeah. Andrew. The wonderful thing about Andrew is the only thing. one. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Morton has emailed it. Not, uh, not Aaron Morton. I don't know. Maybe an Aaron Morton. Maybe Andrew has a brother. Yeah. Who can say? If Andrew has a brother named Aaron, hi, Andrew's brother, Aaron. It'd be a bizarre coincidence. It would be a fantastic coincidence. If there is an Aaron Morton out there, 
who is absolutely nothing to do with Aaron Henley <laughs> or Andrew Morton, but is a completely independent individual, mm. then he too is is welcome and hello, Aaron Morton. But this email is not from Aaron Morton. No. This email is from Andrew Morton, who very definitely exists Yes, because he's emailed into the show. Excellent. Andrew. Whereas Aaron Morton <laughs> may have been a figment of my imagination. Right. Okay. So Andrew Morton has this to say. Right. Are we, are we all geared up now? That, for was this? Some, that was some good damage. Did control. you like that tap dancing? <laughs> yeah. Andrew Morton has emailed in saying, Hi, Andy and Michael. Oh, it's called Revving That Harley. Mm. This is nice. Harley Quinn is a fantastic character. From the moment she almost literally sprang onto the screen in Batman the Animated Series, she stole the show numerous times. Despite the forced way in which she entered the main DC continuity, I can't say the fact that she was brought in in any way was a bad decision. I much prefer her relationship with Ivy than with the Joker. I understand the abusive nature of the Joker, but that doesn't mean I enjoy it. She, again, almost literally, bounces off Ivy's straight man brilliantly. This is shown in what is my favourite episode of the animated series, Girls' Night Out. I'd like to have seen more of it in the Arkham games, especially considering Ivy's story in Arkham Knight. Some ramblings for your email bag. Thank you, Andrew Martin. Well, you're very well inclined. Go on. uh, In the, the recent... Jimmy Pamiotti of Connor Comics, yeah. the relationship has been ambiguously, ambiguously close. Has it? To the point that in the next uh, Gotham City Sirens film, they have been confirmed that they will be a couple. Oh, right. Okay. So because amb- ambiguity, ambiguity doesn't... doesn't work in the DC Cinematic Universe. Yeah. You know, like having damage tattoo on your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> that is subtle. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, how else would an actor communicate the Joker's unbalanced way to the audience? How else would I, a a popcorn-eating cinema-goer, understand... Understand what he was going for. Exactly. The subtle nuances (laughs) of the film. How would you get that if he didn't have damage tattooed across his head? Mm -hmm. It'd just go right over your head, wouldn't it? It is hard You would think that the Joker was just an ordinary stand-up member of society, would you not? It is hard to understand a poorly edited series of music videos. <laughs> Did you not like Suicide Squad, Michael? <laughs> that wasn't a fat <laughs> I don't think it was as bad as you did. But, you know. Anyway. Alright, we'll, uh, we'll knock it on the head there for the email section. More emails to come in the uh, future episodes. We're going to do a couple while Michael's on for Christmas. Mm. About four I think we've got on the docket, aren't we? So we'll cover the emails as we go along. Thank you to everyone who, who listened to me whine about the fact that we didn't have any emails. And decided to email us why we didn't have a show with which to respond to said emails. But we will always be back. Yeah, so I'd, I'd, uh, thank you very much for actually emailing it, even though we didn't have a forum with which to, to yeah. talk about them. And we'll be right back with our Christmas episode after these messages. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. So this is Christmas, again, 
I've lost track of how many of these things we've done at this point, but we here at Hey Kids Towers are a big fan of Christmas. It's the time of year where hope springs eternal, where the problems and disappointments of the last year give way to the promise of a new hope. A hope that this year will be the year humanity finally gets its act together. We can but dream. (laughs) One person always full of hope at Christmas is Superman. Superman is a character that lends itself to the big, expansive Christmas story. Stories of hope, cheer and general bonhomie. Over the years, Superman has been in many a Christmas tale. Some good, some not so good. But none quite as big and expansive as Peace on Earth, a fully painted and oversized Treasury edition that came out in November of 1998. The Treasury format, that of massively oversized comics that a small child could disappear behind, had lain dormant since the early 1980s when rising costs and storage and rack space became an issue. However, when writer Paul Dini and artist Alex Ross suggested a series of books for DC that they would work on featuring some of their most famous characters, DC started seeing dollar signs. I think it was Ross who suggested these books be treasury editions, so he could really go to town on the art and use the expanded page size to really convey the sweeping vistas and glory of Superman's powers. On this score, this more than achieves its goal. Superman Peace on Earth is gorgeous to look at. It's a square-bound edition, and as such, the glue holding the spine together is actually quite thick, making it difficult to open the book and lay it flat. I do wish they'd have used staples. Oh yeah. The cover is simple. Superman in profile and extreme close-up hovers above looking down at Mother Earth. Ross's Superman is significantly older than the characters traditionally portrayed, looking very much like a man in his late 40s, which I quite like. This is a Superman who's lived a bit and has a lot of life experience. Do you like the... Did you like this Treasury Edition? Because you didn't grow up with these. Yeah, I did. In what way? You've always had them for as long as I can remember. I know, but you didn't grow up buying them, is what I meant. You didn't grow up with Treasury Editions being something that you saw adverts for. And No, but I, I grew up with these. Well, yeah, to be fair, yeah, this came out in 1998 when you were, what, three? Three, yeah. So, yeah, all right, you've grown up with these. Duh. <laughs> so Superman Peace on Earth was the first one. Yes. And it was Batman War on Crime. And then the Wonder Woman's sh- Spirit of Truth. And then Shazam. And then Shazam and whatever the Shazam one's called. And then there's the Justice League one. Power of Hope and then JLA Secret Origin and then JLA yeah. Heaven Heaven's Ladder, Heaven on Earth. Yeah. Let me have a Heaven's look. Heaven's Ladder. No, Tower of Babel. No, oh, no. Heaven's Ladder. Yeah, you're right. Heaven's Ladder. Oh, Liberty and Justice as well. There's a JLA That's one the Fantastic Four one. No, the Fantastic Four one is Superman Fantastic Four. But that's not Alex Ross. Alex Ross did the cover. Right. Didn't he? Anyway, enough of that. So what, do you like it? Yeah. I like the trade dress on all of them. I like that. I like that they all follow the same basic layout. These weren't horrendously expensive either, were they? If memory serves, this was $10 US. Well, that's kind of good considering it's, it's toilet paper. Why is it toilet paper? It's very thin, flimsy, and crumpled in the middle. It is, but it, it's glossy and, and impressive. I do think this would have been much better if they could have not done that glue binding. Yes. If they'd stapled it like some of the other treasuries. Not all of them. Some of the treasuries were square-bound. At least a square-bound hardback. Yeah. So, you know. Well, They've, they've reprinted this in, in the standard hardback format, though, haven't they? Have they? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's the first absolute before it was an absolute... 
because it's in a, they, they collect all of them in a slipcase. Oh, did they? The Alex Ross Paulini Secret Origin or whatever it's called. Right, okay. I was it, not it, aware it, of it that. It would be weird to see how it translates to... To normal size. Yeah. Well, when you've got um, thingy, or when, when I've got Superman Spider-Man as regular size comics, mm. they're not as good. Well, it's not just it's not as good, but those treasury editions follow the same aspect page size aspect ratio aspect yeah. ratio yeah whereas on this the, the squares yeah so have they cropped them or no, shrunk them or... so I did see Heaven's Ladder the other day in the, the tra- uh, trades right and I couldn't because I had nothing to compare it to I couldn't see yeah anyway so yeah like I was saying so these were $10 US so this was only £6 something when I bought it in the shop that's mm. good value for this isn't it yeah I mean it was in 98, though. Yeah, it was in 1998, but it was still good value in 1998, £6. Yeah. For this. That's quite impressive. You're paying that much for a standard comic now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I flatly refuse. Uh, you open up the issue, you get um, Superman, as drawn by Alex Ross, flying at you. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's good. All right. Yeah, it's very... Alex Ross always does the S a bit too big. Though, you think? Like, yeah. long down into his stomach. Yeah, it's not the... The width of it across the chest, it does. The point does come almost on me. That'd be down to my belly button. Yeah, it's like that is. It is a little bit big, yeah. And uh, the costume evokes Christopher Reeve and George Reeves, mm. apart from the size of the ass. Um, but yeah, and then it it, gives, it doesn't give you any credits or anything. It goes straight into a two-page recap of the origin, which we'll talk about when we get into the thing. And then there's um, the dedication page for Superman himself, who inspires us all. And then Paul Dini and Alex Ross both have dedications uh frank casey is apparently the guy who poses for superman for him mm. so i don't know if the guy looks like superman or if the, the face of the guy that he draws as superman is this guy but whatever that's who he bases anyway should we do the synopsis unless you have anything else to say about the cover and, and... No. oh the back cover's good the back cover's that that's standee just... isn't it yeah but you don't see all of it on the back cover the one that they've used so many times yeah. for everything yeah because he did Batman and I don't like it then it I? looks okay here but when you see it as the full size standee particularly like the Batman costume. one yeah it looks a bit crap mm. I think Superman looks better than Batman right I think I don't find Alex Ross's Batman particularly scary okay and I think part of Batman's whole ethos is you're supposed to find him a little bit scary well it's that Added realism, yeah. Though, isn't it? Well, yeah, realism. <laughs> Who needs reality? Uh, back when Clark Kent was a child, Pa Kent taught him the value of the seed and how to scatter them to best ensure they bore fruit. It was a lesson Clark remembered well into adulthood, including today, the day Superman unveils the Metropolis Christmas tree to welcome in the holiday season. The festivities are disrupted when Superman spots a homeless and hungry girl and takes her to the downtown rescue mission. The following day, Clark checks up on her and learns that her name is Jodie and that hers is an all-too-familiar story. Clark reflects further on his father and his words, people may need one person to put their own needs aside to help with the greater good. Clark makes a decision. Superman attends a Congress hearing to tell the assembled throngs that he will dedicate some time to trying to cure the hunger problem, but he needs their help to do so. America has a surplus of food and grain. The problem is getting it to the people that need it. Superman will be that transport. Congress, after some discussion, agree. The next day, Superman begins his mission. People from all over the world join in and help, offering assistance on whatever supplies they can. Across the world, he travels. 
Most are happy to see him, greeting him with smiles and open arms. In other places, the message is lost, as Superman is asked to come back tomorrow with more, and even return every day after, bringing food and aid. He turns away. Even he cannot do it all. In another part of the world, a part ruled by one man who through force and corruption has seized his country, Superman is forbidden to land. The despot will distribute the grain, and if Superman does not like it, his men will shoot the civilians. Superman prevents the deaths, but drops the grain, making the choice that will save more lives. Some countries are even resistant to his help at all, so ingrained is their hatred. Some places would rather fire upon him and poison the grain than accept his help and mission. The grain, like Superman's task, falls through his hands, ultimately useless. After a period of mourning, Superman realises that maybe it wasn't the right mission. Superman gives an interview to Clark, naturally, in which he states that the heartbreaking poverty he discovered was more prevalent in men's souls than on the planet. That these problems can only be solved when compassionate men extend the hand of friendship. When everyone shows what they have, be it knowledge, time or grain, then there will be a true peace on Earth. The next day it is Clark Kent volunteering his time, teaching the young the value of the seed and how to scatter them, to best ensure they bear fruit. Oh, isn't that a proper Christmas story, yeah? There was, there was no terrorist attacks nope. or stealing money from a vault. Nope. Or little monsters running around. Nope. Not a Christmas story, though. It, it, it's got the spirit of Christmas. The opening is set in Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Is Die Hard a Christmas film? But it's, yeah. Because it's set at Christmas. Yeah. Could Die Hard be set at any other time of the year and it would still be the same story? No. Why not? Because why is he coming home at the beginning? For his wife's birthday or his kids' birthdays. No, it's for Christmas. I know, but you change that. He comes home for the birthdays. Next. So why are they having a party at the tower then? Uh, to celebrate the opening of the building. Next. <laughs> <laughs> but this... All right, what about Gremlins then? Oh, Gremlins is definitely a Christmas story because it's a Christmas present. There we go. Yeah, so anyway. What, it could be a birthday present. <laughs> Could be a birthday present. This is very true. Are you really going to just start going, well, that film could be here. <laughs> yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. doesn't have to be at Christmas. No, it could just, you know. He could every, try and commit suicide anytime. Any season of the year is a depressing season of the year. <laughs> when you've got no money and no job. Exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, no, I felt that the spirit of this was quite Christmas, even though, like you said, only the beginning of the story takes place at Christmas. Okay. So I felt that the, the peace on... The fact that it's called Peace on Earth... And the idea of extending the hand of friendship to right. your fellow man. So what you're saying is there would be no hand extended to your fellow man at any other point in the year. Oh no, the rest of the year. F- okay. <laughs> uh, the book- friendship isn't just for Christmas. <laughs> it's like a dog. Yeah. Not just for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and make sure you crack the window down for your friendship as well. Yeah, wind that window up a bit as you're passing strangers in the street. Yeah. <laughs> they speak with a funny accent. What ends to do with them? Uh, the book opens with a two-page origin, condensing the story to two wonderfully painted sepia-toned origin pages. Mm. Really good. There's more than a touch of Superman. The movie's romantic and idealised version of the characters to these pages. Although, I suspect Ross is more influenced by George Reeves than Christopher Reeve. Mm. I think in his, his depiction of Superman... That's very definitely the older guy that George Reeves portrayed, isn't it? Yeah. Well, all the way through the book is a, a kind of timeless feel to it. The war in suits and hats and that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, well, I kind of like that. 
I always like it when they do that. Yeah, but it kind of has that 40s, 50s timelessness mm. to it. Yeah, it's kind of evoking the, the Especially Superman. Especially with the old rocket ship as well. Yeah, the, the rocket ship is very much the, from the original comics. It's not the John Byrne rocket ship. Even though in 1998, this would very much be in the post-crisis continuity. Alex Ross has always been outside of that continuity. Yeah, Alex, Alex Ross is one of those guys who's like, if I can't draw the originals, I don't want to. Mm. Or, if I can't draw the ones I like... But, I don't want it. But that works, though. Yeah, oh, it totally works. If you just want to let him do his own thing and say it's not inside continuity, fine. He's probably happier with that mm. than having to, to work with. He probably doesn't want to draw Superman his cape tatters. Yeah. Does he? So, nice recap of the origin in two pages. In the, um, the later Justice League Secret Origins one, isn't that entire book two-page origins for everybody? I don't know. And they reprint the Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Shazam I, I, I know he did them all. They've been pr- printed in different things. Yeah. Because so they all have their own colour as well, which is cool. Yeah. And so, like, I'm sure this two pages is in one of the greatest Superman stories ever told. Mm. I'm pretty sure the Batman one is in one of the Batman well, greatest it's, stories it's ever told. it's not a story, though, is it? No, but it's a good introduction uh, to one of those volumes yeah. if you want to include stories that aren't the origin. It's like what they used to do in the... In 52, where they would have an origin story for every character. Yeah, the, the back page, yeah. written by Mark Ward. Yeah, 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 couldn't agree more. Um, the opening starts in sepia as well, with Clark and Jonathan planting their seed, which is nice. And then we cut to the big old tree coming down in Metropolis. I like that it's Superman that brings the Metropolis Christmas tree. Yeah. I like that, like Blackpool. They have a special guest every year. To right. light the Christmas tree in Metropolis every year, it's Superman. Mm. So you've got some poor kid who wants Kanye or One D to do it, and every year it's oh God, Superman again. What Beyonce? Where's Where's what's her name? Katy Perry. Why can't she do it? And where is it? But that absolutely I love the page of Superman bringing the Christmas tree down. Yeah, I love him decorating it. I think that's really cool. The, the mayor of New York, I mean, Metropolis, yeah. isn't going like, oh, I didn't, didn't want it decorated that way. Mm. <laughs> and where's he getting them all from? I know he's had little boxes to the side. Um, are they not, when he brings into a land, if you have a look, are the lights not all down at the bottom? They're waiting for I it. I just thought that was a, a light around them. It may be, because we never actually see it again, do we? No, because after this page, that's it for Christmas. <laughs> it's not it for Christmas. Page two and Christmas is over it's in this Christmas story. step into Christmas, step into Christmas. It's, that's what it is. The lead-in is Christmas. Yeah. The whole story is about a Christmas thing. Okay. Peace. Because goodwill. Pe- right. You know. Because those are things that are only exclusive to Christmas. They're not only exclusive to Christmas, which is the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> yeah, am I being subtle enough? have Christmas tattooed on your head. <laughs> that doesn't work in an audio medium, no, does that's, it? No, that's the R-rated Santa Claus film, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I do like what Paul Dini does with the story in this issue. Where there are no speech balloons. No speech balloons, no, no thought balloons. But ultimately, I, it makes for bad reading. Why? Because I love that all of this is dealt with in first-person narration. So, yeah. It, it works, because what it is, it's just pages of paintings with text slapped on. Yeah. But it's actually very poorly placed text. I don't agree with that. No, there are certain cases where Alex Ross's art, from a narrative point of view, doesn't flow very well. Where are these cases? I'll point them out. All right, okay. But there are certain times where the lettering doesn't help that as well. Uh, it doesn't help when... 
Super Superman does the tree. We'll talk about the Christmas bit because it's the only Christmas bit in the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, just to get you happy. Okay. Superman's optimistic appraisal of Christmas, a time when people are more inclined to be cash- compassionate to each other, is nice. Mm. I mean, obviously, that all goes out the window the minute the sales start. Yeah. Have you ever been with a bunch of women at the H&M sale? I, I have seen it. <laughs> we trampled well, a line. This page is what I was saying, right? Yeah. So he picks up the homeless girl. You start in the top left mm. where the text starts. Yeah. And it's a wide screen panel that goes across the across two pages. Two pages flying yeah. across. Lovely shot yeah. of Superman flying. So your eye's going all the way to the right. Yeah. But it has to go back to this panel, mm. down to this text. Yeah. Now, your eye goes down to the bottom panel. Instead of following the very widescreen panel of Superman flying back, you're around. missing out this piece of the story because the text and the imagery is making you follow it this way. Mm. Alex Ross's art is not very good narratively here, and the text doesn't help him. So what you're saying is that maybe the shot of Superman swooping back should have been further to the left, yeah, and that text should have been over here. Mm. And it still it could still be because you could still fit it. But even then, you do that, and then you're missing out this panel, because well, your eye is following Yeah, well, you're out, but then you'd go back over here, then. I but, don't disagree with you, that would work but better. But you're not doing, because the next piece of text is there. Yeah, on at the, the bottom right, of the page on the Whereas the right. next image is on the left, you're skipping over that. Right, so what you're saying is... That now, you're, here, on, go the, next on page, the next page, where he, he drops her off at the... Because the, the, your eye not the orphanage, is following the image in the text to go down, 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 mm-hmm. and all the right-hand side of the page... Is, is a, just pretty art. Is irrelevant, yeah. Mm. So that works. Right. But there are some cases where it really doesn't work. Okay. They're not utilising the format to better their storytelling. All right. I, I, I don't disagree with you about the scene where Superman takes off and then has to swoop back around. You're right. Your implication there is to just your eye to see Superman. But arguably, you don't even need that panel. So you see Superman's eye spot something. You read the text faster than I thought. I dive down between the crowd and the girl and sweep her up. And you see his arms pick her up. Yeah. You can argue a case you don't need that. That's true. I mean, you're not, it, you're not seeing that anyway. No, I mean, it's a lovely shot of Superman turning around in midair and flying. Yeah. Because Alex Ross is one of those guys like John Byrne who just did wonderful Superman flying images. Mm. But yeah, you don't need it. It's not necessary for the, the narrative thrust of, of what the page is trying to get across. Yeah. So you're not wrong. But what I'm saying is the art and the lettering mm. are not friends in this story. See, my complaint with that would be, again, on this page that we've just talked about, where Superman takes her to the clinic, the homeless yeah. clinic. Uh, the writing is black in the top panel against the snow, which doesn't really work because it bleeds over some of the snow melting and into the building. So that's difficult to read. Yeah. And then the next one, it tries white on a dark grey background and that doesn't really work either. Oh yeah, there are cases where... Because it is just lettering slapped on the painting. Yeah. Just put this on Publisher and put it on there. Yeah, it does... There is... I don't... I had that note as well, but we'll do it now since you've talked about it. I didn't... I did think that there were places where the writing was not positioned on the page in the most complimentary place that it could be next to the art. Because it kind of... It, it Not having the, the any text grids or anything. Or any speech bubbles yeah, yeah. or captions. Kind of gives it that mature feeling to it. Mm. But ultimately, the lettering is very poorly done. I don't think the lettering is very poorly done. I think it's very poorly placed. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with the lettering. And like you, when you were reading it earlier on, you said, who lettered this? Mm. And I did, is, did you mean who positioned the words? Yeah, yeah. Because it's in regular comics, the positioning of the speech bubbles is an artistic endeavour. 
Oh, yeah. The, uh, the speech bubbles have to be placed correctly because you and I have read any number of comics where the speech bubbles are shittily placed. Yeah. Whoever, so, whoever talks first goes on the left yeah, and the speech bubbles go on oh, right. And then they've cocked it up and they've got people speaking who shouldn't speak or they're obscuring some art uh, or whatever. Yeah. Whereas in this, that was one of my few complaints about it, that yes, the positioning of the text did not complement the artwork. Mm. Or it's like they didn't want to cover up an important piece of artwork to position the text, so they put the text anywhere that the text would fit. Yeah. And sometimes that's not the best way to tell your story. And it is one of those things, I don't know how Deanie and Ross worked together on this. Did Deanie give him a full script and he just went away and painted it? Or did he paint it and then Deanie scripted it from a plot? I don't know. Mm. It kind of feels like there was an overview... And then they did it the Marvel way. Yeah, yeah. There is, there is. You know, there's a feeling. I don't know, again, I don't know. Maybe he sent the pages in and and Deanie scripted them. I don't know. It's, it's, I can't say. Um, I did like. I didn't like. Sorry, Superman, not giving a speech at Christmas. He just right. drops the tree off in silence and takes off. It's a bit yeah. standoffish of him. <laughs> really, no wonder the people are like, "Oh yeah, cheers, mate." Well, he's just there to deliver the tree. What more do you want? <laughs> Beyonce would have given a speech. <laughs> Beyonce would have performed a song. Katy Perry would have mimed. Yeah, well, well, well Superman wearing, wearing a Christmas suit, flashing Superman would have done a breast. performance of a song that saved the universe. <laughs> that, do you think that was a number one hit single in the DC universe? Yeah. Christmas number one. And Superman saves the day for Christmas number Superman's one. Superman's ballad. Down with Darkseid. <laughs> that would be an excellent, excellent story. Is this really the first time Superman's helped a homeless person? Cause we'll, the, the, we'll say it's not, just to make him look good. Yeah, because it, it, it does kind of imply that he doesn't know how homelessness works. Well, yeah, because this, this story, I think, is bordering on the preacher. And it kind of seems like to get it's the... It's bordering on it. Yeah. But I don't think it falls off the cliff. But to get the, they have to have some coincidental, mm. irrelevant situation. Hmm. So his his help the homelessness is a irrelevant unnecessary thing just to get the story into motion. So, well, yeah, you're right. It's it's it, that's what gets the the because she's story. forgotten about now. Yeah, this this girl that he rescues at the beginning is irrelevant to the story. Yeah, but she's the MacGuffin that kicks the story off. Mm. But my thing of that was, it seems like he doesn't really pay attention to homelessness and this homeless shelter until this point. Now it could be argued that. The whole spirit of Christmas, which it still is on this page, despite what you said earlier on, right. uh, has kind of made him think a little bit more about this. Well, I think the homeless problem is, again, irrelevant after this bit. Because his quest is to feed the world, not to give homeless people homes. Well, because he, he, well, the thing is, the homeless girl that he takes into the homeless shelter is malnutrition, is suffering from malnutrition. That's great, but she's still homeless. Yes, and him going around and feeding everybody doesn't solve her homeless problem. Yeah. Which so what when you're reading the beginning of this, what problem is it trying to address? Is Superman trying to address the homeless problem or the famine problem? Yeah. And it's like, well, the girl was malnourished, so let's sort that problem out first. See, I, I've, I've had this problem at uni with my work where I want to convey some kind of pretentious message, but ultimately <laughs> I, I neither care nor actually have a message to convey. And the start kind of seems like that. It's like they want to tell this message, but they don't care how they get there, or they don't care enough about any, any other world issues 
that aren't the primary focus of the story. So what you're saying is they want to do what Superman 4 did and they actually have the same problems in the storytelling that Superman 4 did. Mm. Superman 4 wanted Christopher Reeve to address the problem of nuclear weapons and the problem with addressing the problem of nuclear weapons is ultimately Superman has to fail but in the failing he learns a lesson it's a lesson you should already know what what I'm saying is more they want to eat the cake but they don't have a cake they want to tell this world hunger story but let's forget about this other issue we brought up. Yeah, we brought up the issue of homelessness, homelessness but we're, we're going to forget about Homelessness that. is a big deal, but w- world hunger is bigger deal. Yeah, but, but that's not the issue we want to talk about. Yeah. We want to do... We want to tell a story where Superman comes across a real-world issue and tries to help and ultimately realises why he can't it's, help. To me, this this story is tunnel-visioned progressiveness. Right. Okay, fair enough. See, I enjoyed the message of it, which I think is the point of the story. Mm. The fact that Superman tries to do something here that we know he's going to fail at. Yeah, of course. But the the whole point of the message of the story for the reader is that you don't have to be Superman to make a difference. As Bruce Willis used to say, think global, act local. And, yeah. and that's ultimately Clark Kent can do more good than Superman can. No, I know what you're saying. and It, it kind of feels like you're arguing... and. Another argument. <laughs> yeah, but in the confines of this story, Clark Kent can do more to help the the world's needy, the hungry. I know, but that's not what I'm arguing. Well, what it go on? I'm arguing that they're going for the, the Paul Dina yeah. and Alex Ross yeah. are trying to tell one story yeah. by saying that the other problems are not as important as the issue as the problem the story's trying to tell. So you think they shouldn't have even brought up the homelessness issue? Yeah. Right. So how could you bring in this woman who's suffering from malnutrition if she isn't also homeless? I don't know. He's, he's flying across the world and he sees this poor village in Africa or something. Oh, okay. So you wouldn't have even had Christmas be a part of it? <laughs> Humbug. <laughs> oh, God. You are Ebenezer, aren't you? You're Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, the thing I, I didn't understand here, this was a pure comic book issue. Um, he talks about... Um, World hunger. He goes to the the file room of the Daily Planet, looking very nice in his grey suit with a waistcoat on. Right. Has to be said. Uh, and he because he, he's at the Christmas party, he just kind of blends away because he's Clark Kent and he won't be missed, which is the whole point of the secret identity. Um, it's ironic. I don't need to eat. I will never know hunger. Since when does Superman not need to eat? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get that at all. Is that an old? Very old Bronze Age, Silver Age, Golden Age thing that he doesn't need to eat. I'm not sure. Surely he needs to burn fuel mm. when he uses all his superpowers. Therefore, yeah, that energy needs replacing. There's that argument where his exercising is to the nth level mm. because even at super strength, he has to still push himself. Yeah. So he's a he's not more. He's he's a life form. He is alive. Maybe he just needs to eat. A lot less. Well, I was thinking, but that's not what they say. No. If he said something like, I only need to eat like three meals a week Mm. and that keeps me going. So I will never know what hunger is like. I don't need to crave food the way humans do. Or maybe it's because he's a successful person Mm. in a very wealthy town. Yeah, but that's not the implication. 
The implication is I don't need to eat. That's the act. That's yeah. what it says. Okay. So I can only go off what it says, and what it says is Superman doesn't need to eat. Right. I would have thought of all the superheroes, he would be the one who does have hearty meals. Because mm. after he's been out juggling planets, he needs to replace that fuel, surely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he well, needs to no. eat three big meals a where day. Does he, where does he get his, his, his powers from? The sun. Energy. Yeah. So you're saying that the he, yellow I'm sun... I'm kind of photosynthesizes, I guess. So he doesn't actually need to eat food food. Because you only, people only eat food for the energy. Yeah. But he's getting his energy from the sun. Well, see, now that's not a bad point. Mm. But does he need to drink then? Does he need to I do guess, anything? I guess not. And then at that point then, are you not taking him one step removed from us? Mm. If he doesn't need to eat or drink, then he's not like us at all. Yeah. And that kind of separates him further with his alien nature. Mm. So when he does eat as Clark Kent, you know, as part of his disguise, what's those calories doing? Why does he not end up being a fatty? Because <laughs> well, he is later on. Because he'd still be Superman. He'd just be if he was like Superman. Yeah, if he was thirty stone of pure blubber, yeah. he'd still be Superman. Yeah, wouldn't he? He may not look quite as handsome in the cape <laughs> and tights, but he'd still have his powers. Mm. So I always think statements like that raise more questions than they answer. Well. Yeah, well, another kind of issue I have with the story, right? Mm. To get this story in motion, Clark Kent has to be, well, not stupid, but ha- had to have lived under a rock. Which so, he which cause, he didn't, because then we've got sepia-toned pages well, of the importance of growing food. Yeah, but, okay, so Clark Kent, well-known Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, yeah. has never heard of homelessness before until he <laughs> rescued that girl. And has never heard of world hunger before uh, until he has to look through the Daily Planet vaults. I think he's heard of these things. So why does he have to, to investigate the Daily Planet vaults on world hunger? Well, maybe he's looking up areas where world hunger is most prevalent. And that's what he's investigating. Okay. Rather than, you know, not having heard of it. What? You mean other people don't have homes and food? <laughs> I don't, and then what about television? <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, did you know about this? <laughs> did I know about television, Clark? Yeah, yeah, I'm aware of television. I may live in a cave, but I'm aware of television. I may live under a cave, but it's not a rock. <laughs> um, do you think Parkent's a socialist? I guess. Yeah. In this story. I do, because his philosophy, he says, the problem is people, mm. is what Parkent says. He explains to Clark that you need to pay attention to your neighbour and share them with Sure, with them and they with you. Par Kent's philosophy is that people with more should share with people that have less, yeah. and that everybody should, in some capacity, share what they have. Yeah, but the problem with socialism or mm-hmm. glorified communism <laughs> is that it doesn't work in the world. No, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. You and yeah. I have talked about this before. I do not think. At its grandest, that socialism works. I think there's always going to be people. It doesn't, because socialism doesn't work when there's that one cog that won't. Yeah, that won't play ball. Else. Yeah. So the minute you've got one person that won't play ball, socialism falls on its ass. Yeah. But I also think that capitalism has fallen on its ass. Mm. So we're in that kind of nebulous area now. Well, that far extreme don't work. Yeah. That far extreme don't work. Well, not any ism 
doesn't work because there are always other people who don't agree with your so ism. we need a radical rethink of everything that we think is right and proper about how to do things but that will never work because people won't see it that well way. that's that's where i think we are at the minute yes that's my personal opinion on where we are at the moment there's there's this perfect world where we can all share food and, and no nobody will hit anyone and mm. nobody will hate anyone and we won't have memed a man into presidency. This is exactly Parkent's point. Are, but that's a perfect ideal. Yeah. And not a world that will ever exist in anyone's lifetime. Exactly. And that not that what Superman represents? An ideal? Isn't he ultimately doomed to failure? Oh, of course. Because... Not just in this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as Parkent points out here, the problem is people. Have you just said, we have this lovely planet here that is, has plentiful for all of us that are on it. And the problem... Is people. Yeah. Not persons. A virus with shoes. Individual people like Park Ant, Superman, what have you. They're all decent human beings. Mm. Ironically, in <laughs> Superman's case. But people. And that's Park Ant's argument. So Park yes. Ant is a socialist. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's imbued those ideals into Superman. But Superman is a socialist though well in the, his original incarnation the Siegel and Schuster fought for the yuppies early days he was very definitely a socialist yeah you go back and read the early issues of Action Comics and Superman he was very definitely that oh yeah fighting and then, for the working yeah, yeah and then the war changed his perspective or the writers changed the perspective of Superman to fit what was going on in the real world well yeah he kind of just became propaganda yeah so there's an argument to be made here that Deanie and Ross are just simply trying to take Superman back to... Which was why they had him renounce his, his American ship. Yeah, in Action did... Comic 700. Yeah, because... And then did absolutely nothing with it because they didn't have the balls to follow through. Yeah, but ultimately, I agree with him not having an American citizenship. Well, cause... Superman. Yeah, because Superman is a worldly socialist and you can't be a worldly socialist if you only represent one country. Well, that was the point of that short story in Action 700, wasn't it? Yeah. See, I thought it was ridiculous that he that he, re, what's the word I'm looking for? Renounced. renounced. Thank you. That he renounced his, his citizenship. Because I do think you can be a citizen of the world while still saying, but this is where I was born and raised. You can say this is where I was born and raised, but that's Clark Kent. Superman, mm. as we said, is an ideal. And an ideal doesn't belong to just one country. You can't say the world should be united, but I belong to this country. But is Superman saying the world should be united? Yes. That, that's, that's very definitely... That's Superman saying that. Yeah, Clark, Kent, Clark. Clark Kent is an American. Superman is a man of the world. Right. Did we talk about this when we did Action 700? Probably did. Right, because I remember thinking it was a stupid idea. Because if Superman is acting of the will of America mm. as an American citizenship, then what he's doing is just America. Yeah. Whereas, Which is going to cl- cause massive problems in the rest of the world. if it's just Superman yeah. delivering this food, and that's the act of one man. Yeah. Well, they actually do make that point in this as we go further through the story. When we get to the end of the story, we actually have that where the country... Which which place is it? I mean, I've got it as a note, but we may as well... We'll come back to what we're doing it in order. I like it when we jump around and, and do <laughs> what we do. You've got this thing here where there's... the. The country that he goes to that won't even let him land. The dictator. Yeah. No, not that one. It's after this. The one that shoots him down. The one that shoots him down and destroys the grain is they just don't, they don't like, they don't want any help from America. And Superman is perceived as being help from America, which goes into what you were just saying. So rather than accept the help, they just blow him up. Yeah. They poison the grain rather than accept help from what they consider to be a foreign enemy power. Mm. 
So that kind of plays into what you were saying, that if Superman was really of the world, then he would have been accepted there, perhaps. Yeah. But because he was representing... Because he hadn't renounced his citizenship at this point. Because he had at this point, yeah. If he had accepted that, yes. that responsibility, as you say, as being a citizen of the world, which means nothing according to Theresa May. Of course. If you're a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of nowhere, yeah. is what she's just said. So that may... Yeah, but no, nobody she... knows Theresa May's the Prime Minister until we switch on BBC News. So I don't even know who she is. In a, in, in a world where Donald Trump is more electable than our Prime Minister... Yeah, well, at least Donald was elected. That's true, yeah. There you go. But anyway, the point that we're trying to make is, would that country have accepted him? Had he not been... Oh, but then you're getting into political agendas, though, aren't you? Yeah, but that does, that's in this story. Yeah. There is political agendas at play. This is one of the lessons that Superman learns during this story. Well, the, the Congress are very uh, not inclined to help Superman at first because it goes against their political agenda. Towards yeah, well, that's, that's something else that, uh, that we want to talk about here. So Superman goes about his usual business of helping speeding trains from not crashing and stopping airplanes from crashing and helping <laughs> children out of burning buildings and helping people who are being flooded. Superman things. Yeah, basic Superman stuff. And then he, he goes to Congress and asks them for help with the problem. Again, very similar to Superman 4. Hmm. In Superman approaching the UN in that case. I, I love how he, he mentions that Congress tell me that they are very aware of world hunger. And mm. I replied, what? How come nobody told me? Why would I only find this out from the Daily Planet Vaults? <laughs> that isn't what he said. <laughs> uh, and Superman is slightly cynical here, it has to be said. He says the US has enough food stored away, but no way of getting it to those that need it. Mm. And he, he seems to be implying that they are holding up that stuff deliberately because there is no money in it for them. Mm. That's what he's implying, isn't it, when he addresses Congress like this. And he notes that the conversational tone changes from agreeing it, yeah, there's a problem, Superman, and we agree with you wholeheartedly, to the minute that they address this issue, but it's going to cost them, Yeah, they immediately start going, the conversational chance to agree in to that being of money and hidden political agendas like you just pointed out. Yeah. Okay. It's really subtle. It's a really well-written moment. He's aware that people, especially certain politicians, are largely a venal lot and only interested in their pockets and their own special interests. However, to play devil's advocate, they Mm -hmm. ultimately agree with him when he says... That I will deliver it all. It will not well, cost you a penny. Doesn't that back up the case that they're only interested in it for their money? They only agree to let Superman do it because he says he'll do it and they don't have to spend any money on it that. It does, but at the same time, this is American grain that Superman's doing this with. For free. Yeah, but it's well, still those. It's they not, don't have to give it up. It's not, because he does mention that other countries also yeah. pool the Other countries together. join in once they know he's doing this, and once Congress has agreed to him doing it. Mm. So I think you can argue a case that they can't all be that bad. Because yes, as soon as it becomes not about money, they're quite happy to help him. But they're still giving up their grain from their country... To help yeah. other people. Well, Congress isn't just one opinion, though, is it? No, it isn't. And it, it is one of those things where maybe that's all that's stopping us from helping other people. Money. Or the people in charge. Well, that as well. Mm. So the minute that somebody presents a solution that can be done for free, 
they're actually quite willing to help. Yeah. But the, that's the, the point that I'm trying to make is ultimately is an American grain that is, is going to be helping the rest of the world, mm. which is ultimately what causes him problems further down the line. Yeah. But it is still an altruistic measure on behalf of Congress to say, all right, if you're going to do this, you're taking responsibility for it, but we will do this for you. We will give you the grain. We will let you have the food. We will let you take whatever you need. But the responsibility of doing it is on you. And therefore, if you fail, the failure is yeah. also on you. But then there is a part of it where they are just saying, okay, you can do it, but only because it's not costing us anything. Yeah, but see, well, this is the we can go around and round on circles on this. Mm. Ultimately, they are saying he can use this stuff that is US grain. Yeah. But yeah, they're only letting him do it because it's not going to cost them anything. Mm. So, you know, at what point does altruism beat what's in your pocket? A selfish, selflessness act. Yeah. So, yes, Superman can't do this without American grain. Mm. But at the same time, they wouldn't do this if it was going to cost them money to ship it everywhere. But like, as Superman learns later on, there are countries that may not want their help. Yeah. So what... Is that stupid? To not not accept the help of somebody who can help you? Well, it's pride, isn't it? Yeah. And goeth before a fall. Mm. So there's an awful lot to... You think this is... You thought this was quite simplistic. I didn't think it was simplistic. Just because it's preachy doesn't mean it's simplistic. Yeah, all right, fair enough. I'm putting words in your mouth. I thought there was actually a lot more going on in this than is necessarily evident on first read-through. And I did think that that was a good way of Paul Dini having his cake and eating it. For me, the fact that this was fiction bothered me the most. Why? Because it's Superman. Because A, you know how it's going to end. Yeah, there's never any doubt. Stories like this don't work. The Batman one, yeah, because the Batman one works at that street level about one man changing one person's life. Yeah. But Superman changing the world... He's ultimately doomed to fail. These stories never work in fiction. All, all they can do is more show us a problem in real life and then it's up to us to... And, to, and it's to, up to, to us to, to sort yeah. that problem out. Yeah, well, his actions are undoubtedly altruistic. And yeah, Deanie's script is clearly setting him up for a fall. I think that's evident from the minute that he starts this, mm. that he's going to collapse on his face. Well, when you read a story like this, all you have to do is look out the window or turn the news on and know that it's, it's failed because, well... It's not changing us. No. It's Superman's not going to solve the problem. But here's the thing as well, though. Superman knows that he can't do this every day. So it was a foolish endeavour from the start. Yeah, and that's the lesson that he learns at the end of the so story. So is there a certain level of subtext that, well, not just Superman can't do everything for us, but more hmm. world hunger will never end as a problem? Until we decide to do something about it. And then another level of stories is telling is that we won't do anything about it, so world hunger will always be a problem. Yeah, so there's a cyclical nature to it. But I, there's there's moments of it that are actually quite affecting, even with all that. So there's, I mean, that's a gorgeous shot of yeah. him arriving in, what's his name? Is that Italy? No, it's Rio. Rio, thank you. Yeah, the big statue, sorry. Which is almost... There's there's a subtle yeah and then there's Superman, and then there's that page. Superman the savior next to <laughs> Jesus the savior yeah. <laughs> yeah the biblical imagery is laid on pretty thick in this yeah almost more than Superman Returns and Superman the movie yes and you know I don't mind that some people do some people object to that I don't care I don't really mind Superman is just 
Jesus in a cape, though. Well, yeah, but his creators were Jewish. Who believed in Jesus not yet arriving. Well, so, you know, it's it's which side of their coin do you... If you interpret this as a bit... There's nothing wrong with interpreting Superman however you interpret it. Well, Alex Ross was a big believer of Superman being Atlas and Jesus, wasn't yeah. he? So, you know, that that's perfectly okay. But there are affecting moments in the story. Superman, I mean, initially he succeeds. He brings grain to grateful children and grateful people and everyone's happy. And it's only when he gets to the kid who says, will you come back tomorrow? That he starts to realise that I can't come back tomorrow. I can't do this every day. Yeah. I can't bring you food every day. If I bring you food every day, you're not learning anything. Mm. I'm doing it for you. At some point, the parent has to let the kid out of the house. Yeah. And that's the point of this scene. You can't look him in the eye because he can't do it every day. There's a big biblical theme to it. The parable of the sower is a biblical thing. I noticed that on the Bronze Age Babies website. But the idea here is what you plays into what you were just talking about. Superman can't be our saviour. And it's his faith in mankind that keeps him going. Yeah. Even though we constantly let him down. And it's also the teaching man to fish thing, which they mention yeah. at the end of this. Yeah, they do actually mention that at the end, don't they? And it's how much... It, your tolerance for this story will depend on how much you can turn a blind eye to Superman doing something that he knows he will ultimately fail at. Well, was it noble of him to at least try? I, there's a part of me that thinks his actions in this hmm. make things worse. Right. He set himself up to be a failure. Yep. So Superman is a failure. But he's also causing uh, worldwide tension. He does seem... He's setting up the entire world just for them to fall. Mm -hmm. He's he's, he's handing out false promises. Yep. False hope. Yep. To, To me, if you look at this very cynically, Superman is the bad guy. I don't, I don't get that. Because now, getting, now okay. you're going down the territory of the Joker's the good guy I'm, in the Dark Knight. I'm only exaggerating it, but more... Yeah. Superman is causing more harm in delivering this food yeah. than he is doing good. Yeah, because... And it's it, all well and good at the end for him to, to help sow the seeds, mm. but now civilians in this dictator... So when he gets to the dictator country... Oh, after this, the yeah. dictator's executing a bunch of people who ate the food. Yep. Uh, he's the the country that got blown up. The people in Rio, all the people in the other countries who are expecting more food, mm. are now going hungry. Yeah, you can argue a case here that when he gets to the country with the 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 despot, they never actually mention who he is or where he is. But did, did Saddam Hussein? He was the thing at this point, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, possibly. And he basically says, I will distribute your grain for you, Superman. And Superman's like, knows that he lies. And then he basically says, if you don't do this, I will I will shoot all these civilians. And Superman burns all the weapons. He arguably causes an international incident Well, I was going to say, the issue of um, Earth-1, hmm. where he attacks the dictator. Oh, yeah, Earth-1, Volume 2, yeah. Yeah. This is kind of the same thing. Superman yeah. is acting on behalf of the United States. No, he's not. That's the point that the UN make. This is all on you. We will provide you with the grain, but if you succeed, you succeed, the, but it reflects well on but us. The thing but is, if though, you fail, you fail. The thing is, though, to this country, yeah. they Superman, Superman is truth, Superman justice, and the American way. is reflecting America mm. with American grain yeah. feeding the, the people. Yeah. To the dictator, that is kind of when his men get attacked. Yeah, 
Superman is 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 an American citizen, an international incident. Yeah, and like you say, what happens tomorrow when they come back with more guns and they just shoot all these civilians for eating that food? Yeah, yeah. So, so there is a case to be made that at some point, Superman is doing more harm than good by helping, and you know. <laughs> I hate when you do this. <laughs> I liked this. See, again, it's one of those things. I did like it, but yeah. it brings up so many way, so many things and problems in an attempt to be noble hmm. that ultimately, ultimately are questionable. Yeah. There's more... This is a very idyllic, black and white perspective of the world. Yeah, but it isn't. That's the point. When he gets to the end, it isn't. You've got the country with the despot, who we yeah. know shot all those people the next day. No, but it is. Because there's either the good people who give the food and take mm. the food, or there's the bad people who won't take the food. But there's no... Superman never faces the consequences of his actions. No, he never goes back to that country he sits, and sees all the dead kids. He sits in his lounge and he gets fat, and then he goes <laughs> he out and he helps and he helps sow the seeds. <laughs> but he never faces the consequences of his action and inaction. Hmm. He just kind of gets upset about it a bit. Yeah. And, and it's great that Superman's upset that he couldn't hand out all the food, but there's a village who are dead because he handed them out some food. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, yeah. there's a village who refuses to get help of food because they think Superman's going to come down any day now. Yeah, and help them again. See, and in this one here, there's people who think he's a fraud or a political activist. So he's trying to be non-political in doing what he's doing, but his very act is a political act. Yeah. Because of who he is. And there is the bit where at the end Clark Kent does it. Yeah. Because Superman represents an ideal mm. and kind of truths us in the American way. So for, to a foreign country, for Superman to, del- for Superman to mm. deliver food, then that is America delivering food. Mm. Even though Congress have said, no, this is all on you. Well, they went at Congress. That's yeah, true. Know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's, you know. Um, in terms of the art, it would be easy to say Ross's art carries this. But yeah. I don't think that's true. There are some great Ross pages. If you're just going to talk about the artwork. I think Deanie's prose is quite effective. Telling through the, the story through Superman's eyes. And the bits that you're you're talking about now, two-thirds of the way through the issue, where Superman learns that some people have no interest in letting him help. Some people don't want his help. Yeah. Even though he wants to do this in an apolitical way, he, he can't help how he is perceived by the rest of the country. Yeah. Or the rest of the world. I suppose. And the very fact that he's doing this is in itself a political act, mm. which he has no control over. That's not his fault. Yeah, yeah. Is he perhaps a little bit naive? Well, of course. Thinking that it wouldn't be perceived as a political act. But Superman's kind of, not always, but he's sometimes being portrayed as being naive. Yeah. He, but... he, he wants this perfect socialist world. Yeah, because but... Superman wants our planet to not blow up like his planet does, and he can't understand... Why we don't all work together. Yeah. So we can't relate to why we don't do that. Mm. And that does leave to a bit of naivete on his part, which they constantly play up when he meets Batman. Yeah. I don't mind him because naivete is very close to idealism. Oh, of course. You know, it's easy to look at Star Trek and think that Gene Roddenberry's version of the future, particularly in the next generation, is very naive. Yeah. But Roddenberry was an idealist. And isn't idealism... Can't that change the world in its own way? Well, if everyone believes in it, yeah. Yeah, so you but need the pro- idealists. The problem with the idealism is that everyone has their own ideal. Yeah. People voted Trump, people voted Hillary because they both had their ideals. Yeah. But the only thing is, because people had 
two different ideals, there's never that one good ideal. And there's two... Careful. Regardless, regardless of, like, who you voted for, you have a different mm. idea of what good is. Yeah. And there's always there's always that thing that they try to put you in those two camps where there's probably a lot more crossover than people yeah. actually want to believe. Mm. Isn't there? Well, I didn't think that this would get this deep. I'll be brutal. I thought this was a flimsy Christmas story that we were going to have fun with. Tonally, it is a deep story, though. It, yeah, this is the point they're trying if to make. If you take this story seriously, then it is quite a deep thing. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to unpick in this, really, isn't there? Once yeah. you start delving into it, even, you know. And whilst the situation of Superman being mobbed for the grain is tragic, it's always cool seeing him do that corkscrew thing in the ground. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. And then he comes up away from them. Mm. And he's like, gee, I'm not staying here. But I, I like that bit because he mentions the hungry people don't notice he's gone. Yeah. They don't care about him. It's it's the food they're after. Yeah. And it's mob mentality. Yeah. Desperation. Well, you know. Um, one of Ross's most effective images in the book comes a couple of pages later after the, the country just blows Superman up and poisons the grain. Yeah. Like they've got no interest in even accepting his help. Clark Kent, his glasses on, shirt open, revealing the costume, sitting slumped in his armchair, his mission a failure. Uh, there are some bad writers and comics fans who complain Superman is too powerful and can't be beaten, and yet Deanie and Ross have put lie to that notion in this story. You've got a Superman here who's brought lower than ever before without throwing a single punch. To me, this scene, it's... There is one thing stronger than Superman. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. And in this, it's, again, this story can't work because it's a piece of fiction. Yeah. Well, and they're all so, fiction. Yeah, but it's Superman tackling a real problem. Yeah, a real issue. It's fiction trying to tackle reality. And this is when reality literally beats Superman. Yeah. And that image is very definitely evocative of Panic in the Sky. The 50s right. TV show. Do you remember that one? We the did that as a show. When he loses his powers. Yeah, and he sat in the, the living room like that. Yeah. So that's very definitely evocative of that. But yeah, reality, the the non-black and white world that Superman lives in has beaten him. Mm. You know, he's not a character who is used to shades of grey. If he offers his help, he's expecting people to say thank you. Yeah. And he's just run upon a situation where a bunch of people have said, no, thanks. I don't want your help. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, well, why not? And there could be any number of reasons. Yeah. But he's he's reached a situation that were... Yeah. Well, this seems kind of like he himself cannot come into reality, but reality has seeped into the story. Mm. The the real world has seeped into the the blissful ignorance of the Superman comic strip, mm. where everything is black and white. And, and it's cool, because his costume is growing dirty. Yeah. Symbolism. Yeah, because he's been flying around the ground. Why do you think he's fat, though? He's not he's fat. Got, he's, he's got his little pudge. He's slump. He's got his pudge. Even you have a belly when you slump. He's pudgy. He's not pudgy. He's slump. I'm not saying it in a bad way because <laughs> it gives him some realism. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But he's. I mean, look at the creases in his costume. Well, why does how super rolls? How has he? <laughs> how has he got that when he doesn't eat? Because he's just sat on his couch. Oh, uh, that's a lovely page. Yeah. I mean, it's a really stunning image, that. It's like, what would bring Superman to this point? And I love Clark's apartment. I love that the nightstand is slightly askew. Mm. Just nice little touches like that. And the headlines of the world, Superman fails. Yeah. That's that's quite a gut-punching. And it's it's a, a really good... really like it. There is a great line at the end, though, that 
bring some humour back into it. To everyone's surprise, except my own, Clark Kent gets the interview. Yeah, that was funny. I like that. Genuinely made me smile after that rather downer ending. And then Superman pontificates about what went wrong and why it went wrong, and this this problem is too ambitious for one man, even Superman. And then we've got that wonderful two-page spread from the end of the Superman the movies. Yeah. The Christopher Reeve movies. That's what that is, isn't it? Mm. Of him flying around the Earth and the Earth being represented by all the rich diversity of the planet. Men, women, black, white, different religions are, are depicted. Well, they're all children. And they're all kids because the children are and our the future. future. I believe the children, the children are our future, yeah. which is what Superman says. And it, this conveyed, this, these two pages essentially convey the final message of the work, Yeah, which is we can all be Superman. Mm. We can all help our fellow man. This we is, treat everyone as equals. This is Deanie addressing the audience. Now, yes. Pretty, well, it's Superman talking to the audience, isn't it? Yeah. Through the interview that he gives with Clark. We do all do our bit to make the world a better place, even if that's just flatly refusing to litter. And going back to what I said earlier on, I would quite happily lynch people who litter. Okay. It's a, bit, it's a little <laughs> bit extreme. A little bit extreme, but I think I would only have to do it once, wouldn't I? Put, oh. To get see, the message see, across. Then, then you're creating quite the dystopian <laughs> dictatorship. Yes, but it's a dystopian dictatorship where I am the dictator. Oh, crap. My my, my box fell on the floor. Kill! <laughs> but I absolutely... Just automated sentry yeah. turrets that pop out the park. Do you know the thing I hate most about smokers? Go on. They just think it's it's fine to just flick the butts anyway instead of putting them in a in a proper place. In a bin. Yeah. Well, maybe not a bin because you'd set fire to it. But the you know thing what I mean? is, you wouldn't have to lynch them. Because they're doing it for you. <laughs> yeah, but they're not dying quick enough. <laughs> Quite frankly. Smoke more. Smoke them up, Johnny. No, Dad, what about you? Accelerate that cancer. Um, yeah, anyway. So, the, and the point of the piece is the future belongs to the young and they, more than us, have the chance to take what we've done and cocked up, which is the situation that we're in at the minute, and try and make it better. Mm. Hope and faith, which is, is what the the issues about and then the final page Clark going teaching children how yeah, to plant yeah, seeds yeah. which goes back to the first page mm-hmm. and all the rattling that you heard throughout this was um, that this comic is that funny glue binding yeah so I thought that was quite lovely well told melancholy a lot to it a lot more to it than I thought there would be when we started unpicking it there's an awful there is a lot of There's a lot of political angles to this story if you want to delve into it that deeply. If you don't want to delve into it that deeply, it's a story about hope as befits a Superman story. Excellent art. Mm. Thought-provoking subject matter. Not saccharin. I didn't think. Okay. Go on, did you agree? Disagree? I don't don't know. I don't think this is saccharin at all. I I don't think it's... It's an idyllic story. It's an idyllic message. It's an idealistic story. That falls short by being a Superman story, but wouldn't work as well if it wasn't, if it wasn't a, Superman a Superman story. Because to me, Superman, as an outsider, represents a view of humanity. Mm. It's through an outside perspective we see ourselves yeah. in a point of view that isn't our own. Mm-hmm. But as an insider, he cannot affect the world because he is merely fiction. Yes. So ultimately, he can't solve world hunger because world hunger will still exist, not only but, in the DC universe, but in an, our universe. However, he can be a set of eyes to show us... He can be the light that shows us the way. Because yeah. that's what Superman does. Yeah. Very good. Anyway, that, to show, is that it? I 
think so. That's the Christmas show. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it was so Christmassy. It, it, it wasn't even a Christmas story. It was a little bit of a Christmas. Shut up. Me alone. He didn't even go back to check up on that girl again. He didn't. He did not go back and check up on that girl again. He'll go back and sort that bully out at the end of Superman 2. Yeah, yeah. But he won't go and check on the girl again. <laughs> See, the next one is uh, Superman Homes Under the Hammer, where he, he solves the homeless <laughs> issue. And fails at that as well. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Knocking on the head. That's Christmas 2016 done. We hope you very much enjoyed this one. I did. Yeah. I, that got a lot deeper than I thought it would. Right, coming up next time on a new episode of Hey Kids Comics. Next time is our annual We Got All This Shit for Christmas and we're just going to have a laugh and talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's what we've got next time. We'll, we'll sprinkle some emails throughout that show as well. And then planned for Why Michael is Home, we've got a Todd McFarlane show, yes. similar to the Jim Lee one. And then I want to do Marvel's Eye of the Camera which was the sequel to Marvel's, which I want to do because Michael's never read it and it's not got Alex Ross. Okay. So I'm quite interested in what you think of that. Mm. So they're the planned Christmas episodes that we're going to record over Christmas anyway and uh, they'll get released in January and February. Whatever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you do, whatever you celebrate, we hope you have a Merry Christmas. Unless you don't celebrate Christmas. Well, whatever. <laughs> or holiday or, or Saturday. Yes. Whatever day Christmas is on this year, enjoy enjoy watching Tangled. And enjoy the 25th of December wherever you are. <laughs> wherever you are, whatever you're doing. <laughs> I will. Uh, we hope you had not as shitty a year as everyone else seemed to have. Yeah. <laughs> 2016 will not go up in the annals of history as one of the better years, I don't think. <laughs> uh, but whatever it is, we hope 2017 is uh, more appealing to you. So we'll be back uh, with the 2017 show. And then a couple of other episodes therein after. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production and a Two True Freaks presentation. The opinions of Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew. Uh, Music used in the show is for review purposes only and we believe that comes under fair use. If you want to drop a few tips in our tip jar, feel free to use the Two True Freaks Amazon link, which costs you nothing but gives us a little something to help produce content like this. Michael and Andrew are both on Twitter and on Facebook, and correspondence to the show can be sent to Hey Kids Comics at virginmedia.com.